Well, as I said, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 24. And so you can uh, look there. I think the ushers have already passed out Bibles. If you don't have one, just raise your hand where you are. They would love to get a copy to you um, so that you can follow along today. And you can even keep that one. If you don't have one, they would love for that to be a gift for you. Um, Joshua has, has a question on his mind. In today's language, it might be something like this. Are you all in? Are you all in on serving God? Being all in matters no matter what you're doing, right? Um, it matters more in some contexts than others, but it usually matters. Uh, I, I like cycling because I try to stay in shape, but I really can't lift weights because I'm a weakling. And so I'll try to go cycling. And, and when I'm in a new area, I like to go cycling around the roads. And one of the challenges that... Uh, that that provides for you is when you're in an area that you don't know, you can be go along thinking, no, this is a great ride, and then you turn a corner, and all of a sudden there's a big hill. And at some point along the way, either at the bottom of the hill or about halfway up, you got to think, am I actually all in on this? Because uh, this all of a sudden became real challenging real quick. Uh, that's true on a personal scale, something fun like cycling, something like boxing. Uh, you, can get into real, you can get into real trouble if you go into a boxing match, and you're like, I don't know, I'm, I'm halfway in. Um, I'm, I might be into this. I might want to fight the guy. I don't know. You will get demolished very quickly. If you are the leader of a nation and you're going to war, you want to be all in. When you're halfway in, you get yourself into trouble. This is true on a global scale. It's true on a personal scale. It's true for the doctor I was speaking to in downtown Toronto, outside St. Mike's Hospital several weeks ago. As we were standing outside his hospital, he was reflecting on the decades-long practice that he has worked to establish, where he has worked himself up into a very good position as the head of a department at St. Michael's Hospital. And he was reflecting on the reality that right now, the legal situation in Ontario is such that on any given day, when he walks into work, someone could walk into his office and request to be put to death. And when he says no, his, he will be stripped of his license, his practice taken, and potentially brought up on charges. It matters for that guy with everything on the line. Is he all in on serving Jesus when everything's on the line? It matters for some of you in your marriage in this way, not in lots of ways, but at least in this way, we live in a world where every message you see on TV, in the movies, on the commercials, it doesn't matter. Every message you see says marriage is supposed to make you happy. Be with the one you can't live without. It's all about making you happy. Whatever makes you happiest, be in that. We live in that world. And then we're confronted with Jesus' teachings. And in a given moment, when you in your marriage are facing struggles and challenges and another day with more fights, more quarreling, more just hardship, and you think, is this really what it's supposed to be? What am I supposed to do? Should I stay or should I get out? It matters for you if you are all in, if you are going to obey the teachings of Jesus about marriage. Are you all in? For some of you, it looks more like this. 
you face suffering. Maybe it's physical illness that is chronic, unchanging. It's not going anywhere. Maybe it's undiagnosed illness. You figure at least if you had a diagnosis, you could make some progress. You could try to get change. You, you could try some treatment. But right now, you don't even have a diagnosis. There's no prospect of it getting better. Maybe for some of you, it is spiritual depression or mental illness. And you don't know when or if you're going to turn that corner. The darkness descends, the suffering sets in, and frankly, there are days when it would be a lot easier to end your life than live it. It matters if you are all in serving God. Who makes the decisions for you when it's all on the line? Say, man, this, this got real serious real quick. Does this guy even know Kai? Kai would have made like two or maybe three funny stories already by now at this point in this service. I know. But listen, the reason why, the reason why this is heavy is because this text is a heavy text. Okay, look at Joshua 24, beginning in verse 1. I want to set it up for you. I'm trying to set it up with the tone, with the gravity that it actually has because it's supposed to grip us. Joshua 24, verse 1. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, the officers of Israel. Now, those are all different titles, but they all mean one thing. These are all the bigwigs. These are all the decision makers. They're all the influencers. These are the leaders of God's people. All the important people are gathered in one place. Look what they do. They present themselves. This is formal before God. And Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord. Thus says Yahweh, the covenantal name of God. This is what God says, the God of Israel. This is what he says. And then he gives them his final speech. So really what's going to happen is there's going to be this dialogue now between Joshua and the people of Israel, the leaders of the people of Israel, asking them if they are all in. And they're responding, yeah, we're all in. And they're talking about this back and forth. But then in verse 29, the first verse after this ends, look at what happens in verse 29. After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Yahweh, died. So, so are you feeling the gravity of this? Everybody who is anybody who is, is, is here in this place, Joshua's gathered them all. He says, this is what the God of the universe, the God of Israel says to you. And they're his last words before he dies. This is as heavy as he gets. We come to the crux of it, the center of it, the focal point, the turning point of it in verses 14 and 15. So look at them with me. I want to show you where Joshua is going with all of this. When he gathers all the people together, this is what he wants to put before them. Verse 14. Now, therefore, now, now, therefore, fear Yahweh and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve Yahweh. 
And if it's evil in your eyes to serve Yahweh, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. See, this is, this is a, I was going to say it's a fork in the road, but fork in the road doesn't do it justice. If you come to a fork in the road, you have to decide one way or the other, but you can stop, you can sit down, you can relax, you can pull up a map, you can do whatever. Uh, you, you, you are actually here, I think, coming more to something like a fork in train tracks, and the train is barreling down the tracks, and the switch has to get flipped one way or the other. Or, hey, we're out in the wilderness in Muskoka here, right? Uh, maybe it's like you're barreling down a river, you're coming whitewater rafting or something, you're coming down the river, and it splits in two, and you've got to pick one way or the other. He's saying the moment has come for decision right now. You must decide this way or this way, which God will you serve? The time for decision is now. To help us figure out how to make that decision and how to make that decision well, I think there's three things that we should highlight from the text this morning. The first is this. We need to discern. You need to discern which God has served you. Discern which God has served you. This is part of the decision-making process that Joshua is laying out for Israel. And sometimes, sometimes we make decisions like this a little bit more complicated than they need to be, right? So imagine you have a friend, a young lady named, I don't know, pick a name, Charlotte. And uh, she's in her mid-20s, and she's uh, smart. She's finished her degree. She's launched out into her career. She's attractive. She's financially in a good spot. She is ready to be married. And as it would have it, hey, um, there's a couple guys who are there who are vying for her attention. And so she comes to you and says, listen, which one of these guys should I go for? And she begins to describe the situation to you. And the first one, uh, the first one, well, he's hot. Um, there's some kind of like, uh, there's some kind of physical appeal going on here. And on the surface, he, he, he looks good. He, he looks like a good choice. But then you start to ask questions and you understand there's more going on beneath the surface. Here's a guy who, um, now he, he makes her pay for the dates. And in fact, uh, he's, he's borrowed lots of money from her in the past and hasn't paid it back. And lots of times he's shown up late when he said he would be somewhere. Sometimes he doesn't even show up. Sometimes he just stands her up. And he, he's already been caught. She's caught him a couple times already lying. And then she finds out a bit more. In the past, he's, there's been allegations that he has abused previous women that he has been with. Hmm. Okay. You're like, I don't even need to hear the second option. Let's just go with that guy. Okay, here's, here's the second option. The second option, this guy, he's a gentleman. He is, he is sweet. He listens to her. He asks her questions. He hears her out. He knows her. He builds into her. He tells her about Jesus and encourages her. He pays for the dates. He shows up on time. He tells the truth. She is a better person for being with him. Okay, so is the decision a difficult one at that point? You know, you know that's not a difficult decision, right? Which one serves you? This is the decision that Joshua is putting before Israel. He says in verses 14 and 15, he's like, you've got to make a decision to choose today. Now, we're familiar with it. As for me and my house, we're going to serve Yahweh. Sometimes we miss the way he sets it up. 
Because the decision some people make to say, oh, I'm not going to serve the God of the Bible. Well, that's fine. But then which God are you going to serve? That's what Joshua is asking. If you're not going to serve Yahweh, if you're not going to serve the God of the Bible, which God will you serve? Will you serve the gods that your father served beyond the river? What he's referring to here is, is back in the beginning of the chapter in verse 2. Remember what he said? Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, that's Abraham's father, he was the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods. There's a history of idol worship in Abraham's family. His father worshipped idols. He actually had two brothers. There was Haran and Nahor, but Nahor, uh, for, for whatever reason, he's the only one that's mentioned here. And the only reason he's even remembered is because he's the foil. He's the contrast to Abraham. Abraham is known. Abraham has a legacy. Abraham has been blessed. Nahor has been forgotten. Haran isn't even mentioned in the text. So you've got gods of your tradition that you can look back on. Do you want to go serve them? How has it worked out for them? And the decision could be put to us, uh, could be set up for us in a similar way even now. If we look at our cultural heritage here in Canada over the last several generations, what have we witnessed except the religion, the majority mainline religion, which was outward and formal, it was mere morality, it was a shell from here to Toronto, even just in Toronto, I could drive you around our neighborhood. There are dozens, if not hundreds, of church buildings that are empty, sold, or for sale. The mere outward shell of religious hypocrisy that we have inherited in our culture has been rejected and will be forgotten. You want to go after that? We don't want to go after that. No one wants to go after that. But there's another option, another suitor that Joshua puts out here for the people. He says, or will you worship? You see the way he words it? You can worship the gods of the Amorites. See, now this, this, is, a, this is a little bit more appealing. This is the up and coming. This is the culturally relevant kind of hip way to do it. So here's what's happened. In the history of God's people, they've been brought into Canaan, into the promised land, the land of the Amorites. And as they go into the land, they've kicked out most of them, but a few of them still remain. And so some of their neighbors have these gods that they worship. And they've got different ways of life, different lifestyles that are appealing. These, these people followed uh, the worship of uh, fertility gods. Well, you can imagine the type of lifestyle that would go along with worshiping fertility gods. So, hey, we're moving into a new neighborhood. You got some new neighbors. There's a new way of living. There's a new lifestyle. Why not live it up? Why not go that way? But built into the question, Joshua's, Joshua's pointing out exactly why they shouldn't go that way. Look at what he says. You can worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Why do you dwell in the land of the Amorites? Because the gods of the Amorites couldn't protect the land or the people of the Amorites. Those gods have failed to satisfy as well. You want to serve them? Again, we face similar things. 
in contrast to the outward shell of religion that didn't engage the heart, it didn't change anything. From a contemporary perspective, there are all kinds of alternatives, ways that we can engage in meaningful causes on a heart level that mean something to us, ways that we can change the world. You can get caught up in social justice causes like the LGBTQ movement. It's supposed to be a new form of righteousness and justice, a new standard of what is fair and right and good. The gods of our neighbors. In, uh, in Massachusetts, about a month ago, it's interesting, the Democratic, so the liberal legislature put forward legislation that was supposed to allow a third option for gender on the driver's license. So you could pick M or F or X as your third option if you don't identify with male or female. At the last hour, right before the legislation was put through, it was actually canceled. It was tabled. It was shelved. Why? Was it, it, was, it wasn't because the conservatives put up a fight, because they didn't. It was because the more liberal liberals said that was unjust, because they said, we don't want one option. We want 29 other options. So the liberal government that was trying to appease the masses, that's trying to serve the God of our culture, it's a swing and a miss. You can never go far enough. It never satisfies. It will never meet the demands. In New York, I'm just going to keep picking on Americans today. Here we go. In New York, they passed, they passed a law in the state of New York where it's illegal to use plastic bags at stores. So if you go to a store, they cannot give you plastic bags. That is illegal. The, the impulse is we want to give ourselves to the cause of environmentalism, which in a lot of ways is a good cause. God created the world. It's a beautiful place. He's made us stewards of his creation and we're supposed to steward it well. So the impulse is good, but what do they do? They ban the plastic bags and then according to a study that was cited in the New York Times, New York Times, which is not a conservative newspaper by any measure, said that we still have a problem because the cotton, the fabric bags that they use now instead have to be used over 130 times before they have less of an environmental impact than one plastic bag. <laughs> a swing and a miss. See, we try. We try to go after the gods of our culture, the causes of our day. We try, but it never satisfies. Have you ever found the person who has had enough money, enough power, enough sex? They're like, okay, I've had it. I'm good. I'm satisfied. It has satisfied me now. Everyone who goes after those finds that they do not deliver the very things that they promise. So Joshua says, it's fine if you're going to say you're not going to worship God. You're not going to serve God. But who are you going to go after? Who else will serve you? Who else will satisfy? None of them deliver. And you see, all of this is caught up in contrast. It's caught up in contrast with the God of Abraham. So in verses 2 to 13, he recounts for them the history of how God has delivered. 
The story goes something like this. There was Abraham. He came from a line of idol worshipers. He was nothing, but God loved him, and God entered into relationship, entered into covenant with him, and gave him a son when he was 100 years old, a child of promise, Isaac. And Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob's children were taken into Egypt to be protected from a famine, but while they were there, they were enslaved. So they cried out to God, and God heard them, and God delivered them. God overthrew Pharaoh with the plagues and the death of the firstborn, and he delivered them out, and he brought them through the Red Sea and he swallowed up the Egyptians even when he delivered his people and he brought them out into the wilderness and he gave them the law and he kept them for 40 years provided for them in the wilderness every step of their rebellious journey he was faithful He brought them to the edge of the land and they ran into kings like Sihon and Og and the Lord wiped them out in the days of Moses. And then in the days of Joshua, this book that we would read, the first 23 chapters leading up to here, we would read of how God opened up the Jordan River and brought them through. How he knocked down the walls of Jericho and he brought the hail down from the sky and wiped out cities and people and armies in front of them and gave them city after city and people after people and place after place all the way along fulfilling everything Every one of his promises until you come to verse 13. Look at verse 13. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwell in them. Look, you're living in them now. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. All the blessing, all the prosperity, all the goodness that you taste and that you see right now did not come from you. It came from God who fulfilled every one of his promises to you. This God, this God delivers. So the people get it. Verse 16, look at how they respond to Joshua's challenge. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake Yahweh to serve other gods. For it is Yahweh our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that he went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And Yahweh drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve Yahweh. For he is our God. See, the point here is this. If you're going to give your life to a God, make sure he's good. If you're going to commit to going all in and serving a God, make sure he's a God who can save. If you're going to give him your life, make sure he's a God who can capture and keep your heart And the people have said, yes, we've seen it. He's done it. We believe it. And so we give him our lives. And here's the thing. Every single Christian should be able to tell the story, verses 2 to 13, in their own life. Not necessarily going all the way back to Abraham and Isaac, although in one sense you could if you wanted, but I mean going back like this and saying, before I was born, God knew my name. Before I understood what God demanded of me, I'd already broken his law. I went my own way, not even realizing that the 
treason that I was committing against my king was a penalty that was worthy of death. Before I even realized the death I deserved, Jesus had already taken it. And before I knew what life actually even was, Jesus was raised on the third day. And then before I even knew that message, before I had believed that message, God in his kindness had providentially arranged for people to come into my life and explain to me the good news of Jesus. That my way was leading to death, but that Jesus' way leads to life because he has conquered the grave. And even as those people were explaining it to me, it wasn't them, but it was God, the Holy Spirit, who came into my heart and gave me faith to believe. He gave me life. He gave me ears. He gave me eyes. He broke my heart of stone, and he enabled my heart of flesh to begin beating for the first time. And now he's given me the promise of heaven where I'm going to see him face to face for Forever. And in the meantime, right now, amen, and in the meantime, right now, you know what I get? The fellowship of the saints. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The nearness and the closeness of my God. I, all the benefits that come to me in the gospel, I am living in a house that I did not build. Oh, this is so good, friends. Is this a God, this God who does these things, is this a God who is worth serving? Amen, he is, absolutely. Joshua says you need to discern which God has served you. He will save you, but then you must serve him. So here's the next thing that we must do. It's this, we must determine how this God wants to be served. Determine how this God wants to be served. Now, um, you maybe have heard the phrase, um, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, right? And that's, uh, I don't know what you think about that statement. That statement is, uh, it's a true statement. But it can also be a misleading statement because the way a lot of people use it basically, they make it out to be, well, you know, it's just about me and God being good and we're chums. And so, you know, we just get along and I don't need to worry too much about my sin. And it's this light, airy-fairy kind of relationship where it's not about doing hard things or obeying God. But the very nature of relationship sets the context of boundaries and how you relate is determined by the one to whom you're relating. So let me give you an example. Um, my wife and I had an anniversary just last month. It was our 15th anniversary. And uh, so it's a great one. Now, if I had to come home for our anniversary and said, honey, I got you an anniversary gift, that would have been great, right? And if I had to said, uh, it's outside, it's too big, I can't bring it in the house, you gotta come outside and see it. Maybe that would get her hopes up a little bit. So I said, come on outside. So we go outside and there is a shiny new lawnmower. And uh, I said, honey, I know, I know you don't actually mow the lawn in this relationship. But the wife down the street, I've seen her mowing the lawn lots, and uh, that looks good for her. And so um, I think, you know, yeah, I got you a lawnmower. And, and also, I read online, and all the reviews that women posted of this lawnmower, other women love this lawnmower. Uh, so you are going to love this lawnmower. How, how do you think I'm doing at my anniversary gift so far? 
The whole point, the whole point of giving a gift is to say, I know you, I see you, I love you, I understand you, and I'm giving you something that matches who you are and who we are in our relationship. So the nature of the relationship and knowing the one to whom you relate is what sets the boundaries for how you relate. So the relationship becomes the religion, right? So, so that's what Joshua is saying here to the people. If you're going to serve him, if you're saying, yeah, he's worth serving, how do you serve him? You must determine that because God is entering with his people here in this chapter into covenant, which has stipulations. It is an agreement. Seven times in the two verses that we just read, it uses the word serve, 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 serve. Fifteen times in this chapter, serve is used. The nature of this relationship is one where we serve God. Joshua's saying you must understand how you serve him. The first way you must, the first category for how you serve him is this. You must serve him exclusively, exclusively. Look at verse 19. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve Yahweh. It's a rough start. You're not able to serve Yahweh. For he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake Yahweh and serve foreign gods, if you cheat persistently, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve Yahweh. We will not forsake him. Joshua's saying this, the heart of your God is a heart that is exclusive it wants exclusive affection, exclusive service and obedience. That's why the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, that you would be unified, that you would be a unified whole in your love for this God and serve him exclusively. If you have a wandering eye and a wandering heart and a wandering hand and wandering feet, this God is God will divorce you. So Joshua says, serve him exclusively. You must also serve him second. You must serve him obediently. Verse 22. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen Yahweh to serve him. And they said, we're witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to Yahweh, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, Yahweh our God we will serve and his voice we will what? Obey. Someone told me this a long time ago and it has always stuck with me because it rings so true in my own heart and my own experience. He said one of the biggest differences between me and God is that God never thinks he's me. Think about that for a minute. I always think I'm him. And the key to serving him and to living in relationship with him is to remember that he's God, not me. It's not the other way around. He is the one who reigns. He is the one who commands obedience. Here's what Tim Keller says. This is, he said it helpfully and famously. He says this, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. You know what he's saying? If you're gonna serve this God, you need to understand there are gonna come times when he's gonna say things that you don't wanna believe. And he's gonna say things that you don't like. 
and he's going to command things of you that you don't want to do. But if you are in relationship with the God of the universe, understand how he wants to be served. He wants to be served obediently. And there will come times when you must just obey. Third way we must serve him is biblically. This is really kind of just a combination of the first two. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 25. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. He took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of Yahweh. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words that Yahweh spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. You see what he's doing? He's saying, everything that we've said about serving God exclusively and obediently, we're actually writing it down and putting it in a book, a covenant document that is going to bind our obedience and be a record against us if we don't walk according to it. He's saying, we're going to write this in the Bible. This is important for us, right? Because again, when it comes to serving God obediently and exclusively, there will always be temptations to pick and choose the parts that we want to obey and the parts that we don't. And what Joshua is saying is the whole thing, all of it is written down, all of it is written so that you would obey. See, man, that's pretty tough. Exclusively, obediently, biblically, Isn't there an alternative? There is an alternative. It's this. Not at all. You serve him according to his terms or you serve him not at all. Again, verse 19. You are not able to serve Yahweh because he's holy. He's jealous and he won't forgive your transgressions or sins. You can't be halfway in. You can't have a half of a spouse, a half of a covenant. You can't have a half of a God. Man, this is tough. I wish this guy would just, I like it. I like it when the preachers just preach from the New Testament because Jesus is like way more gentle. I like gentle Jesus. Can we get to Jesus? <laughs> Listen to what Jesus says. This is Jesus in Luke 14, okay? So you're fast forwarding like 1,300 years. Here's what Jesus says. Now great crowds accompanied him, accompanied Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, see that? That's exclusivity. He wants all of your heart. Whoever doesn't hate all of these, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, see that? That's obedience. Cannot be my disciple. Verse 33, so therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. See, if you want the God to save you, if you want God to save you, you must understand that God wants you to serve him. He saves you all the way and you're all in on serving him. All of your life. So, what do we do? Well, here's the last thing we do this morning that Joshua lays out for us. It's this. Decide to serve him. Decide to serve him today. Um, I just learned this this week. 
um, the, the word for decide, it has a Latin root, and the Latin root of the word decide actually means to cut off or to kill, which explains why so many young people have such a hard time deciding, committing, going all in on a spouse or a career or whatever, because intuitively, what are we picking up on? We're picking up on the fact that we're dying to all the other options when we commit to one. We're cutting ourselves off from every other way except for this one. We are killing every other option. That is exactly what Joshua is getting at here. Kill every other option and decide today to serve Yahweh, the God of the Bible. Um, if you don't believe Joshua, maybe you'll believe the cultural philosophical queen of our day, Beyonce. She, uh, she, she said it this way. If you liked it, you should have put a ring on it. Uh, I only know that because the Chipettes sing that song as well. I have small children, so I'm not relevant at all. Um, but you get the point, right? There was, there was a moment. There is a moment where it is right to decide to make a decision and Joshua is saying to Israel, the time is right now. And here's how he says you need to make the decision. You need to make it publicly, first of all. Look at verse 22. Again, Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves. And they said to him, we are witnesses. Verse 27, Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against us. And then again, therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. The whole thing is very public, and there are witnesses, and it is ratified, and it is sealed. There's a reason why you do weddings in front of people, because there are witnesses to call you to account. There's a reason why we believe that you are baptized in the presence of the church. When the church is gathered, you are baptized publicly as a public testimony that you are now united with Jesus, so that now there are witnesses who can hold you to account for the covenant that you have entered into, the promises that you have made, the allegiance that you have declared. When the time comes to make a decision, Joshua says, the Bible says, we decide to follow God and we do it publicly so that we can be held accountable. Have you declared your allegiance to Jesus? That you're all in with him publicly? Have you done it in front of the church? Have you told the church to keep you accountable to the commitment that you've made? Why not? Joshua says, decide publicly, put a ring on it. He says, decide, secondly, instantly. And when I say, when I say instantly, I, I, don't, I don't just mean in, like instantly, like so fast. I mean instantly, like in an instant, in a moment, in a precise moment, in one moment, decide. It has to take place in real time. There comes a point when you just have to decide. He says to them, now therefore, in verse 14, and then again in verse 15, decide this day. God doesn't say, hey, you know what? Wait a little while. Check out your options. Think it through. Do your research. He says, decide. 
God doesn't say, hey, let's move in together and live together for a little while before we put a ring on it, before we get married. He says, decide, commit, go all in, in a moment. You are going to spend the whole rest of your life living in light of that decision in that moment, but the decision happens in a moment. And maybe for some of you, that moment has to be today. So here's the thing, I don't know why you're here. Frankly, I don't even know why I'm here. I thought I was on vacation. <laughs> Here's the truth, though. The God of the universe has arranged for you to be in this seat right now, hearing this call to decide today. I don't know who of you that's for. Will you decide this God who can save is a God who is worth serving. There's one last thing that Joshua's gonna say about this decision that we have to make today to serve Yahweh. And I hope it's for some of you who, maybe you're sitting here thinking, okay, but I've done the public thing, I've been baptized, I've been walking with Christ or trying to for a long time. Um, I've decided in an instant, like I, I made the decision, I've done that, but I'm looking at my life and it's just, it's full of nonsense. I don't know how I got here. I messed up. Frankly, I'm beginning to lose hope. My heart feels cold, my heart feels hard. There's just stuff in my heart and I don't know what to do. And so preacher, I've tried what you've said and it hasn't worked out for me. But listen, here's the other thing Joshua wants you to know about making this decision today. It's a decision that's made publicly. It's a decision that's made in a moment, but it is also a decision that is made repeatedly. Over and over and over. Look at verse 23. They said, yeah, okay, we're gonna serve Yahweh. And, and frankly, they had been serving Yahweh. They had been. They'd been walking faithfully throughout this whole generation. But look at verse 23. So they say, yeah, we'll serve him. And Joshua says, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to Yahweh, the God of Israel. Why do you have idols in your tents? Why is that there? I was a terrible child, and um, I was terrible in lots of ways. Um, I was lazy for one of them. And so I remember one day my mom, um, bless her heart, single mom, was trying to encourage me to do something helpful, you know, serve the family instead of just being all about me. And so she told me to come out and rake the leaves with the family. So we're out raking the leaves. And I was like all whiny and I wanted to eat chocolate. And so I said, Mom, I want to go inside. And she said, fine, you can go inside, but don't eat the chocolate. And I said, okay, I won't eat the chocolate. So I went inside and I ate the chocolate. Uh, when my mom came inside, she said, why did you eat the chocolate? Now you're in trouble. And I said, I didn't eat the chocolate. And she said, go look in the mirror. And I had chocolate. Like, it's one thing to make a commitment. Joshua's looking at the people who have tried to live faithfully. And he's looking at them and saying, look, you got chocolate all over your face. You got idols in your tent. Your old heart affections. Your old ways of living. They die hard and they keep 
creeping back in over and over and over. And so this decision to follow God, to serve God is one for some of you right now. The decision you need to make is one that you've made a thousand times, a million times before to come back again and say, I'm putting the idols out. I'm getting them out of my tent. I'm wiping the chocolate off my face. I'm being done with this and deciding all over again because the longer you let the idols live in your tent, the more of your heart will take over. You need to decide again today. So it matters. It matters for all of us if we are all in, if we have decided to serve Yahweh. We have got hard decisions. You have got hard decisions coming up. Will you decide to sacrifice your comfort to make your marriage work according to the commands of Jesus? Or will you serve the God of ease and go your own way? Will you sacrifice a promotion at work to maintain your integrity and your witness, or will you bow down to the God of money? Will you sacrifice the view that others have of you and come forward today in a public display of repentance and decision, or will you worship the God of image and reputation? Decide today, choose today which God is worthy of your heart, which God is worthy of your service. Let's pray. Father God, we want to respond in obedience. We want to respond to your word by honoring you. We want to respond to your word by giving you the love, the praise, the obedience that you deserve. Father, give us grace to commit in an instant, in a moment, in this moment today. Give us grace to choose to follow you, to decide to follow you and to not turn back. Give us grace to respond in faith that leads us into paths of obedience and worship. We ask in Jesus' name.